The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. All right, we are live. I am Bill Amadeo from... McManus Lamadeo and Gribble Associates and the Shiawassee Six. You know, today, Shiawassee, Livingston County, Milan, Detroit, zooms from the car. I swear to God, I. Brain is so fried. But, we're gonna talk about a memory from 9 11. And we're going to talk about the difference between Eagle fans and Lions fans. We were at the game yesterday. Thank you, Jewel, for those tickets. Myself, Scott Grable, Bob Davis, Joe Latarski, the four of us went to the game. Interesting game. Eagles got very lucky. I'll tell you guys what I saw for what it's worth. But um, the fan bases, my God. You're up a Philly kid, holy shit. You want to talk about difference? Let's start with 9 11. Alright, it's hard to believe it was over 20 years ago. And what I think is this the way that many people talk about. I hope that volume was on. The way that many people talk about the JFK assassination, I think our generation talks about where they were when they first learned of 9 11. I'm going to tell you that story. I'm going to tell you what led to it. Because I think we all went into this horrible sense of tragedy when this tragic event occurred. I'm going to tell you some of the things I remember. Some of the things that still kind of make me shake my head today. And I'll tell you this. People can say a lot. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. I really don't give a damn where you stand in the political half circle. I'm going to tell you this, though. I grew up next to Pitney Village. I live on Lore Road in Ann Arbor. Thank God I'm an American kid. Because in many countries, you're in a caste system. And despite differences we may have, I truly love our country. And I feel some people who disrespect our country it just if you don't want to be here then leave this is the greatest country in the world make no mistake about it of course we have our problems every country does but the fact that you can overcome the fact you have that opportunity there's a reason people risk their lives to be here you know um i'm always going to love america even when i have problems with certain people certain politicians and this day I will say 9-11 kind of brought us together for a minute then it divided us up the night before I was working overtime at Tropicana and it was a really late night for me I think I worked till like 7 in the morning and understand what's going on with me right now I'm out of college I'm desperately trying to get into law school and I keep taking the LSAT and the LSAT to me, with dyslexia at that point, it was kind of like drinking coffee with a fork. It was just a miserable experience. 
And I just kept grinding and grinding and grinding. I gotta overcome this LSAT. I have to do it. I'm never gonna get into law school if I don't overcome the LSAT. So I get out of work at 7 a.m. I run to the gym for a little bit. I get home. I sleep for about two hours and I run to the Margate Library. Now the Margate Library was always a good study area for me. I bought every tutoring thing you could imagine. There was Kaplan, I think there was Barbary. And my opinion on the LSAT is tutoring, unless it's one-on-one, -on -one, it's all bull for the LSAT. It's a weird test to separate the women from the girls and the men from the boys. And it's amazing to me how the law school admissions council and how law schools across the country can put more weight on this one test. They could have four years of true academics, but they do. And at this point, not getting into law school was such a big thing for me. I am going to the library every morning, no matter how late I worked. I'm spending hours on it. So what we would do is we'd work all night, go to gym, go study for the LSAT, do stuff with the union. This was the whole thing. Get a few hours of sleep in between there. And I'm at the Margate Library on September 11th, really exhausted, and our computers just froze up. And nobody knew what was happening. And we went up to the librarians and we're like, hey, computer froze and they said we don't know why now understand this wasn't exactly the 24 hour news cycle that we have today and we learned about this tragedy and we don't know what to think now there's this shock you know and we were told at, the, at that time that some of the killers, terrorists, however you want to frame them, came from New Jersey. I gotta tell you, there's something about shock value. At the time, we didn't know if one of the casinos was gonna be a target, which is kind of ridiculous thinking of that today, but back then, where would there be a big gathering of American citizens? How would that go down? And it was just really this tragic time period. We're fearful, we don't know what to do. And I remember going to work that night and there were some people at work that were clearly anti-American and they were celebrating the death of so many Americans. And this is a time period right now where there's like swinging, right? There's anger, there's hostility, there's fear. It was bad. People were getting stereotyped because of race and culture and it was a time of despair. And I remember a couple things kind of hit me at that point. I'm really moved. I wanna join the military at this point. And I'm thinking, I'll put law school on hold for a few years. I'm going to go into the military. I'm all patriotic. And I went to meet with a recruiter. And they gave me some tests. And it was determined that if I was to go into the military, I would be an officer. They were not going to put me in a battlefield. Um, this one 
person that trained me or interviewed me, however you want to put it, said, listen, you're off the charts with your intellect. We want you to actually be behind the scenes. Well, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I mean, I want to go out and fight at that point. There was no interest in me. One of the things they did was real interesting. They gave a similar test. I was going to go into the police academy. They tell you to draw a house, right? Now, when you draw a house, the foundation has to start at the bottom, and you work your way up. So when I drew this house, I start from the top, and I go down. You can't build a house from the sky, right? It's unrealistic. You have to actually build the house from the bottom and work its way up. But when I was asked to draw the house, top, down, over. And this was like a test to determine who was who. If you built the house from the bottom up, you had some common sense. And you might be officer material. If you built from the middle up where most people did on these tests, you were infantry. Um, you may be tough, but you kind of viewed yourself, you may have viewed yourself as arrogant when it came to fighting, but as far as intellect, you kind of knew your role was what they said. And the few that built the house from the top, well, they were the ones that really had this heightened opinion of themselves, were really meant for big things. And it's kind of bizarre how to build a house in an unrealistic manner meant that you were elite. Well, that's what I was told. Psychology is screwed up sometimes. But uh, they didn't want me in the military, not to be a fighter anyway. They wanted me to be an officer, and I wasn't down with that. That wasn't the whole point of 9-11 for me. And it wasn't long after that that um, I had a meeting with Donald Trump. Now, some of you guys know that Trump and I knew each other a little bit. He was kind of like a role model to any kid in Atlantic City, in my opinion. I mean, people deny that today, but let's be real. When you were a poor kid in AC... You saw Donald Trump walking around. It was a big deal. And the fact that he took some level of interest in me was also a big deal. And I asked Mr. Trump, got a meeting, whatever. I want to get in the Rutgers badly. And I'm explaining this whole military thing, right? And he said to me, hey, you're not a soldier. Forget the military for a minute. Okay. I said, listen, I want to go to Rutgers so bad. I have to get into Rutgers. And I explained to him why I want to go to Rutgers. Um, this whole 9-11 thing has moved me. But I also don't want to be far away from my family. My aunt, my mom, if I'm at Rutgers, I could take care of them and do this and do that. And Trump said to me, basically, in a nutshell, you don't have enough political clout for me to make a call for you. But you're a winner, you're a fighter, you'll figure shit out. It wasn't much of his time he gave me, but he did tell me, hey, you're going to make it, but I can't help you. At this point of life, you're not important enough for me to make a call to Camille Andrews, who was the dean of Rutgers at that time. But um, you're a tough kid, you'll figure things out. So the military doesn't want me, really. Trump says no depression about what's going on in our country but I also realized at that point 
because now think about this, the time frame. The next year, I got in the Widener Trial Admissions Program. They didn't take me. A year and a half after that, I went to Cooley. And the point to that was, I had decided at this juncture, okay, well, New Jersey doesn't want me, I don't want New Jersey. That goes pretty deep, by the way, to this day. And uh, the rest is kind of history. But I want to say what 9-11 was to me on a personal level was a sad and tragic event. I think that's a clear statement. But it was also a reminder to me that life was really short. If you got to leave your area of comfort, then leave your area of comfort. So many people do not go for their goals because they're comfortable being at home. Even if they're not happy. My aunt my mom, I love them so much. They raised me. I owe them everything. May they both rest in peace. I never remember Aunt Mary and Mom really being happy in South Jersey. I just don't. But they thought it was crazy to leave South Jersey. And it's kind of weird. We really do fear the unknown. And I think sometimes you just got to embrace it. You know? Leaving South Jersey, for me was much easier after 9-11 because I kind of just viewed you know this is it's go time you know it's time for changes and I don't think everybody had that viewpoint but it was something which was clearly the most tragic moment in American history at least at that point in my opinion I remember when 25th hour came out that was with Ed Norton and uh, the other actor was Philip Seymour Hoffman was in it but when 25th Hour came out check out that movie 25th Hour holy shit every New York and New Jersey kid at that time period looked at 25th Hour with so much identity it was such a connection there and um, Barry Pepper Phil or Seymour Hoffman, Ed Norton, Rosaria Dawson. I won't spoil it for you, but if you check 25th Hour out, and you think of the 9-11 tragedy and the time frames that were connected to it, it's a pretty powerful endeavor. And watching 25th Hour when it came out also made me think, you know, maybe there's a bigger world outside of New Jersey. Remember something, there's always a bigger world where you're at you may not want to embrace it but there's a bigger world sometimes a better world which leads me to a discussion of eagle fans versus lions fans I was lucky enough to be at the game yesterday great seats and you know it was the lions home opener and i'm going to tell you growing up as a philadelphia eagles fan such a different vibe you know just a whole different vibe first of all you can't get a bottle of water at the Lions games if you're a beer drinker you can't get a beer the lines are crazy and the Lions I don't think they expect people to fill up the crowd but the first game of the year was pretty big it was a sellout from what I understand and it was an awesome experience to watch the game it was a bad experience I'd be able to it was a brutal task to use the bathroom it was a brutal task to get a bottle of water. 
the game was really fascinating, but you saw Lions fans versus Eagles fans, because there were a lot of Eagles fans in the audience. And let me tell you, back home, when I say home, Philadelphia, the old veteran stadium and the link, you don't wear opponent jerseys there, okay? In Philadelphia, they actually have undercover cops in opponent's jerseys waiting for you to pull some they used to have a jail inside the stadium. I don't know if they still do. That's how crazy home games got for the Eagles. Here, you know, it was a much better vibe than last year when the Eagles came to town, but it wasn't... The Lion fans... I never saw so many people happy about a game they didn't win. All I heard from Lions fans after the game were, man, we almost won that game. Let me tell you, I think the Lions are a team on the upswing. I think the Eagles have a lot of issues on defense. It was a great game. But really, um, what really got to me was how the... And this was a mentality thing, okay? Because back home, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, fans were complaining. That ah, was a close game. Like, you can't make an Eagles fan happy. One Eagles game I went to as a kid, Michael Irvin, we thought he was dead, right? Literally thought he was dead. Got Carl the field in the stretcher, and Eagle fans were cheering in droves. And I'm looking around like, man, these people are fucking nuts. Okay, they are out of it. I'm an Eagle fan, but I feel like I'm an outlier there. Lion fans were so thrilled just to be in the game. Excitement that here we are, we're competitive. Eagle fans, not happy, no matter how much you win by. Two different bases, to say the least. The Eagle fans at the game yesterday were really an interesting breed. There was this one guy, annoying as hell, wearing a Nick Foles jersey, right? And the Lions had a false start penalty, and he's screaming, yeah! I'm like, okay, dude, it's a five-yard penalty. Chill out. Stop. Then there was this couple. They had masks on because they're COVID conscious, but they're screaming as Eagle fans, which I thought was kind of an oxymoron. I mean, how are you getting up, jumping in people's faces, but yet have your mask on because you're fearful you could breathe their air? I just... Hey, you want to wear the mask, wear the mask, but then you got to kind of act the part with that, right? I've seen people almost get killed at Eagle games. I was watching Lion fans yesterday giddy over the fact that their team lost by three points. I hope Dan Campbell changes the culture in Detroit. And I'm, I have a real sweet spot for the Lions because since I came here in 2004, they... It's been a sad endeavor. But I'm hoping they turn things around. I really do. Um... Yeah, Mike, you know what? The face painters, that's a good one. Um, in Philadelphia, they would literally paint their face green, and some guys would like a mohawk with a white, like, eagle thing on top of it. And there were some guys yesterday that were walking around. You know, Rory is the lion. That's the mascot. And there were guys walking around with a Rory head on. 
And I gotta tell you, and I mean no disrespect by this, because I'm a regular guy. I don't want to come off as arrogant or anything, but if you're wearing a Rory head or you painted your face green, somewhere in life you made a mistake, right? Like, you really dropped the ball. I mean, we need to get you some help. The face painters and the people that put mascots on their head to support the team. You could just buy a ticket and wear a jersey, right? I, I don't know. I know it takes a lot to get me excited, but that's just always weird to me. The face painters... Yeah. I mean, I just have the vision of them meeting a public defender for assaultive behavior later on Monday. You know, I just get that feeling there when I see the face painters. Um, I think the Lions fans are a nicer group than Philly, but guys, if you want to win, you know, you, you can't be satisfied with a three-point loss. Yes, I see potential there. And, you know, I like Dan Campbell. What the hell was the onside kick when you're down by 10 with four minutes and nine seconds to go in the third quarter. You just scored. You gave the ball to us at our 50. Just completely go on and on. Um, Lion fans out there, like I said, I have a soft spot for you guys. I want to see you guys become winners. You can't be happy with a three-point loss. You had every opportunity to win that game yesterday, and I hope you guys make the playoffs. I actually predicted the Lions to go 10-7 this year. But the elation to not win a game because we lost by a small amount, that was disappointing. That is something about Philly will never leave me. Like, my God, if we don't win, we're pissed off. When we do win, we're pissed off. I mean, I can tell you... We make it to the NFC Championship game and we don't win, we're screaming, let's fire the coach. I mean, here, pal, we only lost by three. Eh, you lost. So, very, I didn't feel like my life was threatened at any point yesterday. I did feel that at many Eagles games growing up. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Actually, I tagged my Aunt Jackie on this one because my Uncle Sam was... Uncle Sam Ioli. Amazing guy. Took me my first baseball game my first football game was a big part of my athletics growing up and he lived 60 miles away in Philly he used to make the trip and he was such a great role model he wasn't in my life as much as I would have hoped because of the distance and all that but great guy and the Super Bowl was one of the things we always used to talk on Super Bowl Sunday break the games down just uh amazing man so, with the Bengals being in the Super Bowl, it is very kind of special to me. Here's why. Ah, man. I feel old saying some of this stuff. Super Bowl sixteen. My first memory. Uh, the Bengals and the 49ers. And Joe Montana wins his first Super Bowl. And the Bengals played their hearts out. But they lost. 
and there was this play on fourth down that Dave Butt, the linebacker for the 49ers, shut down Charles Alexander on fourth and one. Might have changed the whole game. The Bengals were oh so close, but they just lost it. And then Super Bowl twenty three. The Bengals are making again, and they're playing Joe Montana again. These poor bastards. Every time the Bengals made to the bowl, they played Joe Montana. This one was weird. Stanley Wilson was a running back for the Bengals, and he tested positive for cocaine before the game. And he was never going to play again. And Stanley Wilson was battling drug addiction for a while, and he went partying a couple nights before the game. And it really hurt the team. And they played their hearts out that game. Tim Crumry, who was an amazing defensive player, broke his leg in that game. Was having an amazing season, and it set the Bengals back. And the Bengals were so close to winning it. Remember calling Uncle Sam at halftime. And this is like, you're looking 1989 now, right? So he did the long-distance call with Uncle Sam. So one of the treats I did back then. We were poor back then. And Uncle Sam said, if the Bengals keep running the ball, the 49ers can't stop them. And this was a pretty cool time period. The Bengals had James Brooks. They had Icky Woods. It was his rookie year doing a whole Icky Shuffle thing. This was the Bengals game to win. Um, they finally start time. And Joe Montana is down. And this is the famous game on NFL Network they talk about where everybody is tense. Joe Montana is doing a two-minute drill. And he looks into the crowd. He says to the guys in the huddle, oh, look, there's John Candy. May John Candy rest in peace. John Candy was in the end zone watching the game. And Joe Montana points out, there's John Candy. And it just relaxed everybody. And Montana just went down the field, broke the Bengals' hearts. Now, you grow up near Philadelphia, you're always um, an Eagles fan. But the Bengals were certainly my second favorite team. I was always close with them. Raquel Munoz and I were talking today. Some of those Tiger helmets on there. There's something special about the Bengals. And in the 90s, growing up on my journey... I was always a big Jeff Blake fan. I remember like being in AOL chat rooms in the late 90s saying like Blake the Pickens all day long. And the Bengals were just horrible during this time period. Like they had no... It was just a bad organization. But they had talent. But it seemed like it was an organization that simply was never going to go anywhere. I remember when I passed the bar in 2008 and my uncle Sam sent me a letter and he put money in the car and he's like you're the real life Rocky and it was like kind of weird how my journey had like evolved into this now I'm a lawyer and it's hard to believe from where I came from we would talk on the phone about the Bengals we would just laugh about the Bengals for years Unfortunately, my Uncle Sam died shortly after the Eagles won their first Super Bowl. And we talked on the phone that day. And I get it. Stafford, good guy. 
But the fact that the Bengals are here, it just seems so weird. This organization was just so bad for so long. And I'm reading stuff online now that I'm arguably the best criminal defense lawyer in the state of Michigan and the Bengals are in the Super Bowl and it just feels like life has changed so much for me. And I can't help but think of Uncle Sam today. For the Bengals to even be here 33 years since their last Super Bowl is such an amazing thing. I just felt like, wow, the Bengals being in the Super Bowl is such a special thing to me. When I think back of those Jeff Blake years and the Carl Pickens years and how horrible this team was for so long, I just feel like this, guys. I feel like the Rams have bought their way into success. And there's no shame in that. The NFL's a business. But they trade it for Stafford. They trade it for Von Miller. They got OBJ in free agency. They have a huge payroll. I mean, they've made some wise decisions, and they mortgaged their draft picks. And they deserve to be where they're at. Great team. It was always a special thing on Super Bowl Sunday for my uncle and I to just go over the game. We would talk before the game. We would talk briefly at halftime. Miss my Uncle Sam a lot. What an amazing man. Um, times with him and Aunt Jackie in my youth. That was really special to me. I'm thinking of who they. I'm thinking of overcoming obstacles. And I'm thinking of journeys. And a lot of nostalgia hitting here today. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. 1998. I'm driving with Q back in Jersey. Q, my best friend growing up. By far. And he lived in Epsecan Highlands at the time. And Epsecan Highlands was where Stockton was, because Stockton College was in Galway Township, Galway, whatever. And we're driving one night, and Q goes, Bambi, Bambi. And I'm like, Bambi, Bambi, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, there's deer running across here. And I start laughing. And he's like, what's so funny? I said, deer. So it's poor deer. So I, never, I can't imagine somebody being hit by a deer. It's just ridiculous. And Q said to me, one day, you're going to learn respect for deer. And I'm laughing. Okay, whatever. I would learn respect for deer. We're going to talk about that today. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And today we're going to talk about college debate tournaments, which were known as forensic tournaments. We're going to talk about how you learned respect for deer and sober bar crawls. My God, I'm looking at myself right now. I've got a baseball cap on that looks like I found on the street. No shave. Just came from a brutal workout with Adam's son. Putting a few hours in on some cases, man. And I'll tell you, I just got to get some content done today because tomorrow I might be out of the loop. And I got to keep grinding with this content. You guys are demanding content. By the way, Josh Strickland, that was great last night. When I heard the Flintstones theme at the end, I literally was laughing my ass off. And I was sore from the gym. I laughed so much, I was literally in pain. 
1998, I'm at Stockton College. And one of my professors was Chuck McGeever. You guys know Chuck McGeever from last night's jail visit. Heard me talk about Chuck a few times. Interesting guy. Chuck was my professor a number of classes, and he was also the debate coach. And Chuck wanted me to come out for the debate team. Now, I didn't realize that the debate team was a big thing towards getting tenure. He made this whole big spiel. Like, I know you're working full-time and you're in college full-time, but you got to come out to this debate tournament. We need you on this team. And I'm thinking, okay, let's debate. I like public speaking, sure. And we're going to George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. Now, here's the best way I could put these tournaments. The tourneys would come up, right? And there would be people from Harvard, Yale, all these different schools would come out. And this was like their idea of a good time. Remember one Sunday, I'm watching the Eagles um, Redskin game. And somebody was screaming at me, how could you watch football when there's a debate tournament going on? Hmm. So I kind of knew that I really wasn't one of the normal ones here. Uh, it was different, which was fine. It's a sign of things to come. And Chuck told us, and the, told the team, there were a few of us on the team. I won't mention some of their names today uh, for a lot of reasons, but there were like five of us on this team. And Chuck said, well, we're going against the Ivy Leaguers. And when we're going against the Ivy Leaguers, you're probably not going to win. But the whole point is that you look good, you make an effort, and Stockton will give funding for whatever. And I remember saying to Chuck at this team meeting, well, why the f*** can't we win? It's like, well, Bill, you know, they're Ivy Leaguers. They talk about education at the dinner table. Um, like, you're finally going to talk about sports. I'm a little annoyed at this point. And I'm thinking, okay, so these f***ing Ivy Leaguers, you think they're smarter than me? Did you see my IQ test? Did you see my GPA? And I'm doing this with dyslexia, which nobody f***ing knew at this time, so... Because I think you are like a brilliant mind from the inner city, but you're going against Ivy Leaguers, so don't beat yourself up if you don't win. I mean, just tell me I can't do something, and like my mind's set now, I'm going to beat these pieces of shit. I don't even know them. Okay, they weren't mean to me at these tournaments, but the fact that there was this aura about them, that they're going to be more intelligent and more articulate than myself because they went to an Ivy League school kind of pissed me off. And that theme has kind of lasted in criminal law. I digress. So we go to the tournament, and um, I made it through the first round. I made it through the second round. I made it through the third round. And Chuck's like, oh, my God, you're advancing. Why wouldn't I advance? I know the subjects. I'm going to kick their ass today. And we um, <laughs> we get to... The finals. And there's like one kid from Harvard. One young woman from George Mason University who... She was known as the best public speaker, debater in the history of these tournaments. Like, she won so many tournaments. She's a teacher today out in Virginia. We kept in touch a little bit. Excellent speaker. And there was the Harvard. There was the girl from George Mason. There was a guy from Yale... Um, there was somebody from, like, Longwood, this other college, and there was me from Stockton. And <laughs> they, um, 
So when you get to the finals in this one particular thing, they give you topics. And you don't know what your topic's going to be. So the topics that were up for debate were Ken Bob Dole win the 2000 presidential election. Okay, I'm on top of that. What do you think about technology in the stock market? Will tech stocks continue to boom? Got knowledge of that. A few other topics. And the fifth topic was, and this was, and I drew this fifth topic. Can a white man ever become part of the Black Panthers if they were transported back in time? And of course, that's the topic I drew. So now I'm arguing against these Ivy Leaguers, and I got to argue why I should be a Black Panther. Okay. Hmm. Well, this is interesting. And you had like 20 minutes to prepare. Now, this is before the internet was on your phone, okay? We're talking 98. And I'm like looking some stuff about the Black Panthers. I know a little bit about them, but I don't really know what to say here how do i advocate become part of this group now i was batting fourth the fifth right so i'm watching these other three and this is a new experience to me like i made it to the finals on pure grit and intellect but now it's like this outside the boxing which has always been my thing but i didn't expect this topic i was like please give me the bob dole topic i could talk politics all day long with this I can tell you how Bob Dole wants to do things with financial aid in 2000. Maybe he'll win this whole thing, but, you know, that didn't happen. But um, I didn't get the draw I wanted. So in these tournaments at the end, one of the things you did was, like, kind of tell a joke. And it was a joke that relayed to your topic. Now, what joke do I make about a white guy in 1998 wanting to be part of the Black Panthers? And can I transition it to 1998? I don't know what to say. And I mean, spoiler alert, I didn't win in the finals um, this year. That particular form. I won some other ones. But um, so I'm giving my speech. I got to make people laugh, right? That was the key here to the finals. Can you make people laugh? So I ended my speech by saying... I don't want to be a Carolina Panther, and I sure as hell don't want to be a Pink Panther. I want to be a Black Panther. That was good. The judge is going to look at me like, what did he just say? I don't want to be a Carolina Panther. I sure as hell don't want to be a Pink Panther. I want to be a Black Panther. Wasn't the winning argument that day. So... We won some trophies or whatever. So I was like, in the t I was like, think I was right third in the tournament. We get to the after dinner. Now the rest of the team is pissed off at me because they all lost like early in the tournament, and here I am with like a bunch of trophies. Which hey, Chuck, take the trophies. I don't really care. Now, as we learned in some other things, Chuck kind of had a thing for me. So there was a really pretty waitress there. I gave her like a twenty dollar tip, which was huge money for me back then. And I'm talking to this waitress. And Chuck gets really upset. Goes, you know, you came here for a tournament, and now you're flirting with a waitress. But the tournament's over. I mean, I didn't put two and two together. The rest of the team's all pissed off at me. 
and we're at this after dinner thing and this one young woman from harvard comes up to me and she tells me how much she liked my poetry and chuck says in front of her he writes crappy poetry so now in some ways my debate coach who is probably in love with me is also cock blocking me after i won some trophies for the team that he was bringing back to stockton to try to help him get tenure and remember the whole carolina pink black panther analogy which i thought was funny nobody else really bought into it so we're at this after dinner thing and got the trophies gave the chuck so the team decides we're going on a bar crawl in uh fairfax okay i don't really i don't drink i never drank but i'll go there and i'm buying some of the guys drinks and they are drinking their ass off. And I'm sitting here drinking ginger ale and drinking cranberry juice. Ironically, at the end of the night, I'm the one that got sick. And Chuck says, well, how much how much ginger ale can you drink? Remember, I'm puking by having so many ginger ales. And the people like Danny, Johnny Black, and Johnny Red are just, they're fine. They're good to go. We get back to the hotel. And I guess the booze are kicking in with Chuck. I don't know. And he's jumping up and down. He goes, oh my God. He goes, we won. We won. We're going back with hardware. Hardware was the equivalent of trophies. So he's jumping up and down. I'm like, I'm really happy for you. Great. I mean, it didn't mean that much to me. I just wanted to beat the Ivy Leaguers. I'm really glad Chuck got these trophies. He took them home. He goes, can I have your trophies? Yeah. Take the trophies. So full palm up. He smacks my ass as hard as he can. I'm like, what the f was that? He goes, oh, well, you're a big baseball guy. Uh-huh. Well, baseball, when they score a run, they slap each other's ass. Do you want to slap my ass? I'm like, no, I don't want to slap your ass. It was very... It was odd. We get home. We drive back to Jersey that night. Nobody's talking to me. I'm listening to my headphones with my Rocky uh, CD in. And they all want to hang out and drink. Now, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. They want to go to a casino and drink. They want to go to a casino and drink. Like, I actually got a bartender in the casino at 10 a.m. I was the breaker bartender next. I had to work 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Then I had to get back to stop for my 8 o'clock classes. So there was no time for me to uh, drink or hang out with them. Get back and work out at home. So I got my little Le Mans, right? And I called Keel up and said, hey, I actually won a few trophies. Um, Chuck uh, was really happy about it. So Q says to me, listen, be careful. You're driving at Stockton at night. I'm like, what's up? He goes, be careful of those deer. He goes, Bill, I'm telling you, watch your back with the deer. And I'm like, okay, the deer. Now I'm on my phone. Now keep this in mind. I got like my left hand's on the phone. I got one hand on the wheel. I got this little tiny vehicle. And what you did at Stockton was you used to cut through the Stockton Medical Center. There was a hospital right across from the campus. And if you cut through the medical center, you jumped onto the um, highway quicker. So that's one of the things we always did. We cut through there, right? This is before Bluetooth. This is before you like had your headphones or were putting it on speaker. You know, it's 1998. 
So I'm on the phone with Q. I'm driving through the Stockton Medical Center. And I make the left into the center. And I said, oh my God. I swear to you guys, there were like 200 deer just f***ing chilling. And like, and I'm looking, I said, Q, I'm like surrounded by these deer. What the f*** do I do? He goes, oh sh I don't know. And it felt like they were surrounding the car. Like to the left, to the right, there's this narrow thing at the side. I mean, these deer, this is bad. This is their turf. I mean, it's three o'clock in the morning in the Pinelands of New Jersey, and these deer are here, and all my, okay, now I'm scared of deer, because you got me. <laughs> I'm on their turf, I don't know what to do. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna like beep the horn. So I start beeping the horn and put my high beams on. That was not a good idea. <laughs> like the leader of the deer, he stared at me like, motherfucker, you're on our turf right now. And I'm like driving this little mods like five miles an hour, and I'm like, do I beep? Do I horn? I don't want to, like, floor it. Because they're, like, roaming across. You know? They're just... They're dancing. Like, haha. Like, you walked into enemy territory right now. Here's these deer. Here's my little car. I'm laughing about deer in this friggin' area. And I am sitting in deer mania. Um, I'm rolling at five miles an hour. And it felt like it was the never-ending road, right? Slowly, and I'm looking to my left, looking to my right, looking to my left, looking to my right, and I see an opening. And I floor the fucking Lamont as fast as I could, which was probably like 40 miles an hour. It was a piece of little car. I got the hell away from the deer. And I go home, and Aunt Mare's like, How was the trip? I said, I'm not talking about the wedding, I'm talking about the goddamn deer. Said, oh, did you beat the Harvard kids? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. But Aunt Mare, these fucking deer. We're surrounding my car. And like the deer became the story, not the tournament. So I see Chuck the next night at school and I tell him about these deer. He goes, well, you know, if you would have just stayed at my place or come drink with us, this wouldn't have happened. I go tell Father Sullivan about the deer. Okay, you had to see these deer. Sullivan goes, hey, well, hey ass, you're driving on their turf. What do you think is going to happen? Got home. Got a story. Beat the Ivy Leaguers. The deer scared the living out of me got sick drinking juice and soda while everybody else was getting drunk made some enemies that day and whenever i'm against somebody for like an ivy league i think back to those tournaments so i was like hey, i could beat you it was really cool sticking up their ass the deer were a very odd story that captured it 1998 was a really interesting year the more i think back in 1998 it's like holy <laughs> weird happened that year the jail visit with attorney bill amadeo from mcmanus and amadeo connect with mcmanus and amadeo at mcmanusamadeo.com or call 800-392-7311 this is the jail visit on shiawassee radio Vermica's bakery in atlantic city has closed down my god how many more things from our youth are just going to be erased I don't know. It got me thinking. I started thinking about things that changed from our youth. Five things came to mind personally that hit me. Besides Formica's. When Panarelli's closed. When we left Willow Avenue in Ducktown. 
when we sold the Alki. <sighs> Two other things come to mind. Veteran Stadium. Mm, the Vets. Veteran Stadium was where the Phillies and Eagles played. It was such a mecca. And Veteran Stadium got demolished in March of 2004. I went to law school in August of 2004. That was a sign that it's time to leave. Here's what I remember about the vet. First game I ever went to, my Uncle Sam took me. It was such a thrill. Eagles got their ass kicked against the Broncos. You know. Um, and I remember just being so thrilled to be at these games. As I got older, um... I used to take a bus to New Jersey Transit because the bus station was right by our old house, have enough money to sit the 700 level, maybe buy a hot dog and a soda and watch our Eagles get their ass kicked or watch the Phillies lose. And that's what it was like back then. What you used to do when you went to the vet was you'd buy the cheapest tickets you can, right? Let's take the baseball game. And by like the third or fourth inning, you would actually sneak down to better seats. Um, at that point, many of the Philly fans were either drunk or left. And it was really a heartwarming situation. And I will say, when we watch those Phillies and Eagles games, no matter how bad the teams were at the time, it was a treat. It really was a treat. And then when the vet shut down, you understood why logically. Veteran Stadium was the worst football stadium in the world. So many guys got injured. They didn't properly maintain Veteran Stadium. But it was still our home. It's where our fills and where our Eagles came from. Then we got the link, right? We got the link, and now we got Citizens Bank Park. The fills play at Citizens Bank Park. The Eagles play at the link. Let me tell you, these stadiums are amazing there's all this money in the world that went into it, but it doesn't have the same feel as Veterans Stadium, at least to me. Now I know Veterans Stadium should have been, man, you know, should have been landscaped better, but there was something special about going to that place. And when you were an opposing player coming to the vet, you knew you were in for a war. We have a culture as Philadelphia fans. When I went to my first Lions game up here, I was looking around thinking I've been at church services that were louder. When you went to the vet, like a Cowboys jersey or something, you had to be ready to fucking fight. Veteran Stadium used to have its own jail for when people get out of hand. They used to have undercover cops wearing opponents' jerseys for Eagle games. That was special. And when the vet got demolished in March of 2004, it made so much sense I was going to leave in August of 2004. And the last thing I'll talk about today is St. James Rectory. What do you say about that place? I know I've said a lot lately. I wouldn't wish St. James on anybody. I think the place was, I guess, distorted is the nicest adjective. I'll use this nice term, whatever. 
when Father Sullivan, when it broke and the Catholic Star hurled that he molested somebody long before he was at St. James, my reaction was to defend him, and I did. It cost me a lot at the time. Sully really wasn't a good guy. And the rector's where Sully lived. Now, I think there was a lot of abuse at that place. I wasn't abused sexually there. There was some physical abuse. There was a lot of emotional abuse. Not just with me. There were others. It was a place that was really a house of the Lord. That was really a house of horrors. And when I drove by and I saw it shut down, I was on a term break from law school, you just kind of... Huh. You just looked in silence. And I remember pulling up to where the director used to be. And I just parked my car. And I stood there, like, my arms, like, folded like this. And I'm just staring. The only thing I can equate it to in pop culture history was uh, that scene in Forrest Gump. And it wasn't as dramatic as that scene, but there's a scene in Forrest Gump when Jenny goes back to her old home, the home where she was beaten and raped by her father, and she starts like throwing rocks and screaming because she's blaming that place for everything that went wrong in her life. Here's the thing about St. James. There's been some major obstacles in my life. There's no question about that. A lot of those obstacles for, are from like my own things that I applied to myself, pressures I put on myself, cases I took, whatever, you know, whatever. I think St. James could have broke me if I wasn't a strong-minded person. Um, I know it broke others. I don't look at St. James with any love. And in some ways, not there's not much that scares me in this world. There really isn't. One of the things that scares me a little bit would be going to a reunion at St. James. Here's why. I've never started a fight in my life. I've been involved in more physical confrontations than most. I never started one. I never threw the first punch, ever. Not my style. You hit me, I'm coming at you. But I never struck first. My concern is if I went back to a St. James reunion, if there was such a thing, and I know they've talked about it before, and there were certain people that were drunk and certain things may be said. I may forget that I'm Bill Amadeo. I may forget about the power and money all the happy horse and I may just start swinging. Because I want to be that kid back at St. James, but now it's a little different. The game's changed. I think watching that rectory shut down brought all these feelings back to me, you know? And I know there's a side of me that there's some 
anger has not been addressed. And there's anger towards certain people. And I think in my own best interest, what I've learned is, I'm never going to take from anybody, ever. But I also don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm going to risk losing what I have or what I'm going to get. And seeing the demolition of St. James, you know, there's a reason when certain people send me friend requests or messages and I don't respond to them. Let me give you a tip, guys. I know Google says a lot of nice things about me. As a friend of mine recently gave me a thing that said Google me, LOL. If you reach out to me from St. James' time period, I'm not, I'm not talking about the girls, okay, guys. If you reach out to me, I don't respond. Just walk away. St. James is gone. Veterans Stadium's gone. Willow Avenue's gone. Panarelli's for Mika's. And it's weird just looking back on certain things. Anyway, this one's about closure. This one is about South Jersey closure. Gonna miss for Mika's. And I'm not going to miss some of the places I talked about today, but I'm always going to remember them. Because they certainly build who you are, those closures. For better and or for worse. But what I could say this, if anybody's hanging on my words right now, if you've been through some of these situations in your life, do not let them f***ing break you. Make sure you use that as motivation for your goals, for your loved ones, for your family. Use it as positive ammunition. Don't let the ass of the world drag you the fuck down. Don't let the bad memories or the horrors take you out. Control that. And you know, no matter how bad you want to fall out, life's a poker game sometimes. Don't show weakness when that happens. I'm Bill Amadeo. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.